0: Turn it up.
1: You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And
0: I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go!
1: No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe.
0: The one request we tell our guests?
1: Stories or didn't happen?
0: A big welcome to our marketing fans.
1: Prepare to turn
0: the f- up. Whether it's helicoptering speakers in to Western Canada's largest marketing conference or taking the TEDx stage to share an idea, this gets hard for storytelling and empowering others will always be an integral part of his work. He is a sought-after marketing advisor, a regular speaker of topics of LinkedIn, social media, personal branding, he has the privilege to partner with some big global brands in his past venture like Uber, Amazon, Slack, BuzzFeed, Hootsuite, and many more. And it's opened his eyes to an impact an organization can have on a brand story to empower their audience. Please welcome my friend, Joel Hansen, to the podcast. Welcome,
1: Joel. Hey, thanks for having me, Daniel. I'm uh, excited to be here and looking forward to digging into some good questions.
0: I'm I'm super stoked about it as well, and I want to start with the question we asked all our guests: Is how did you get into this marketing field?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think for me, growing up in a bigger family in a busy environment with a love for teamwork and how ideas turn into a reality, it was just kind of identifying that the storytelling, the marketing of an idea, plays such a key part in driving things forward. And that's kind of what caught my attention early on. And in the last in you know, a little while, social media is kind of in the playground I like to to hang out in in the world of marketing. And that's kind of, I guess, how I got started.
0: How did you find like what social media to be on and what intrigued you about going into the LinkedIn side of it versus others?
1: Yeah, that that's a really good question. I think something I'm I'm sure we both share in common is You know, marketing and and digital marketing specifically is really a results based initiative. You can go to school for it, you can learn from a mentor, or you can just go and market something. And that was kind of one of my favorite things about getting into the world of marketing was that if you have people that know you're able to deliver results and they know you're able to convey a story or position a person or a brand in that industry that's kind of what you need to to start going. And I think LinkedIn kind of caught my eye for this world of ideas, uh, creative people, and really intriguing dialogues that happen on the platform. And it's really a, a turf where best idea kind of takes the narrative of the conversation. And I think for people to develop their skills in content and storytelling and grammar and copywriting. It's just such a uh, foundational piece to so many things that happen. And LinkedIn and social media kind of became an area I really wanted to put my time and energy into. I've
0: listened to some of your TEDx talks. And one thing that I admire about you is your ability to tell a good story. How did you learn to tell a good story like that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think for me, it was just kind of around the dinner table, you know, being the younger of, I was fourth of five siblings. So I had three older brothers. And, you know, if you didn't have a good story, you didn't get time at the dinner table. That was kind of the, the dog eat dog world of, you know, can you defend your idea? Can you pull a prank? Can you, you know, put two things together and and convince a crowd? You know, having a, a fear of public speaking initially, you know, kind of got me down and and I soon kind of built up, I guess you could call the the comfort zone or, or the familiarity around sharing an idea and how to bring emotion and excitement and suspense into that to uh, hook an audience. And so started at the, at the dinner table, I think, and around the house. And then now it's kind of gone into other realms of, of the professional world.
0: And what are those like when you were at that dinner table or now speaking to hundreds and thousands of people. Um, What are the elements that make up a great story?
1: I think vulnerability and uh, the human capacity of the story plays plays a big part in that. I think at the end of the day, people connect with other people and lowering the facade or lowering the mask of being someone or something that, you know, from a distance is harder to connect with. I think that's something that Is super key in in what I've learned of just being a a human person that's willing to tell a story of of how you've learned and um, how you can relate to your audience is a big part of that. I think the the second one would probably be tailoring your topic to your audience. And, you know, whether your listeners have attended a really boring university lecture or they've sat through, you know, an online course, we all know. On account of our fingers, I would bet the favorite professors, teachers and mentors in our life and why they're the ones in our life, I think, come down to how they're able to tailor the message to us in our specific situation. And so I think that that second part is really identifying who you're speaking to, what you're helping them with and, you know, kind of challenging them in a way that takes the story off script and kind of pushes them forward after the conversation.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite like marketing statements is and could apply to stories as well is that you enter the conversation that already is happening in the person's mind in marketing. So I feel like a story can enter the mind of someone and give like this visual like ability where a lot of people don't know how to do that. But I want to know like how do you get to the point of like what sto- parts of the story should I throw out and what parts of the story should I keep in to be so concise to be able to get hook the reader so well or the Yeah. Listener.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think for me it, and you know, I'm I would say I'm I'm continually trying to get better. I I don't want to claim to be a guru expert, but I think for for my Approach, I really try to nail down what's the one phrase that I'm trying to deliver. And then I kind of reverse engineer, okay, what's a story and a framework of kind of certain pillars I need to put in place to almost prop up what that delivery is going to be on. And I think so a lot of that would be rapport building of communicating to someone who you are and what qualifies you to talk on the topic. And then I think a second piece could be you know, sharing the relevancy and the credibility of why this topic's important. And then I think once you've kind of built up that base of rapport and trust and relevancy, you're able to kind of uh, deliver that one-liner statement of, you know, what you're trying to convey to that audience.
0: That makes total sense because I, listening to one of your talks, I you said the one-liner about four times, and then I think each story built up to that one liner. So it was, which I, the story you told about creeping on the hootsie CEO, which is showing your vulnerability. But I thought it was so cool that like all the elements of the story where you, you snuck up to the room and then you went in and dialed the desk and said, you're his nephew and all that stuff. Like, What's cool about stories is like if you told it in a boring way, I probably wouldn't have remembered like those little details. But like since you told it as a story, humans are like more likely to like remember those like funny or like cool little details you threw in there.
1: Totally. And and every time I hear that story, I feel like year after year, I get more uncomfortable and saying like, did I really do that? But I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of true of the story kind of brings out the human side of, of who you are. And I think the best part is it kind of brings down the professional image, which I think a lot of younger people struggle with is, you know, is this someone actually relatable and, and human and down to earth? And I think stories kind of unveil who our heroes or who our inspiring people are. And so, yeah, that, that was a kind of a funny one you mentioned. One of the
0: topics I really am interested in is like this sense of like, influence without like authority at the beginning which I think I just want to dig into this because you were a younger and you're still a younger guy how did you get over that you weren't the most experienced person and you weren't the most you didn't have the big title but like how did you get over that hurdle of like not having like an imposter syndrome kind of that Mm. you're talking to like a room of CEOs or a room of marketing geniuses or something like that and be the one who's the limelight's on.
1: Yeah. I, I love digging into this topic. I think, you know, there's a lot of books and speakers that, you know, talk on the importance of surrounding yourself with, people that will continue to challenge you in life in in business and and in personal things and I think we really are the average of you know the top 5 people we hang out with most whether we're aware of it or not and I think as a younger person that question kind of poses the challenge of okay if I have nothing to say why am I at the table and I think we need to flip that question to you know how can I still support facilitate and drive curiosity around this topic. And maybe that will get me a seat at the table and eventually I'll have a voice to share. And I think one of my favorite things about LinkedIn is that when people have that imposter syndrome, I say, you don't always need to be shouting advice or guru or expert or, I, you know, I've done this, come watch me. I think the future of content is really in curation and learning and education and facilitating a really good dialogue around a topic. And I think. The best speakers and creative minds I know are actually able to flip their content into those two-way dialogues. And I love to challenge these younger professionals or you know older professionals that are pivoting to different ideas to say, how can you be a curator or a facilitator versus the expert voice the first day on the job? I want to dig into something because I think someone
0: commented on one of my LinkedIn posts about this because I how does I always encourage people no matter what the level to post on LinkedIn, because I think, and I, I I totally believe there's a spot in content creation for original ideas and curation. And I got the, this guy's comment kind of irked me a little bit, but I want to see your thoughts on it. He basically said that like, if you're not like, an expert like why should people listen to you even if you're curating like content like there's a skill of like phasing out people that don't know what they're talking about versus people who do know what they're talking about and basically he was saying that if you don't know that the idea is true why would you be sharing it to, to like the audience, like if you don't know for a fact that this is a good idea, like why are you sharing with your others? What would you say to someone who says like that? Because I think that that's like the hurdle people have to get over that aren't experts at the topic. To them. Mm. how do I get over this hurdle of people going to say to me like, why should I even listen to him? He doesn't. He just curates content. He knows nothing about these topics.
1: Yeah, no that that's a valid question. I think I I would probably come back on. That situation, and like from a higher view, I question. Like, it sounds like both the people in the situation are on their personal accounts, on their personal time, on their personal, you know, agenda. And so, I think you know, rule number one there is, hey, this is just kind of a, a personal thing, and I'm here to learn, to grow, to share ideas. And I think stepping into that abyss of the unknown just sometimes happens in the social media content world where you're just kind of testing ideas and seeing what works what doesn't and just sharing your opinion and I, I think if it really irked him I'd question why you know why doesn't he just unfollow and and leave the conversation because I, I think it's kind of neat for that person to be part of that conversation sharing his or her thoughts on the topic and kind of just opening up, the brainstorming for his or her community and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think it's just hey this person's here to grow here to share something and if it does hit you you know feel free to engage with it back
0: yeah and i also like saying to people as well as that Don't criticize till you start creating. Like, Mm. like, you could be, that's why cancel culture is like one of the most toxic things because it's like a bunch of people sitting behind screens, like not being, putting themselves, being vulnerable, like posting content and people are just canceling them because they can behind a screen, which I Mm. think sometimes people are right to be canceled by what they said is probably too inappropriate. But there's also like, people who are putting themselves trying to be vulnerable, trying to do something, and they slip up because they're human, but they slipped up in public instead of being slipping up in private. So it's just an interesting culture to me, like that people sit behind their computers and just dog on people's posts until they and but they haven't
1: created one thing yet. Yeah. A a couple like things on that, I would say, I definitely agree with you that I try not to take advice or criticism from someone that I wouldn't swap places with in life or in experience or in business. And I, for me, that's kind of a healthy filter. I try to see of like, Hey, is this someone I would spend a coffee or lunch with to get their advice? And if not, you know, thanks for showing up, but this isn't going to really hit me in a way that some of those other people would that know and can challenge me as a person. And so, yeah, I think that was just one thing I, I like to keep an eye on.
0: Cool. I want to pivot a little bit. And I've always been interested in this. Like, how do you become a TEDx speaker?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think similar to, you know, the earlier topic, there's a lot of imposter syndrome around, you know, getting on a stage and, and sharing an idea. I had a couple friends that have done it before me and they said, you know, do some research on it. You know, figure out a topic and and just kind of apply to you know the process and and see what you can make out of it from from a learning perspective. And in terms of the the application process, it it's quite similar to that similar of what a conference or public speaking opportunity would be like. But there's TEDx events that are hosted locally uh, in cities or regions that are verified by you know, TED head office and they have to abide by certain standards. And usually a TEDx event will host 10 to 20 speakers, you know, at that given time. And when they open up the event, they usually do a call out to speakers in that area to align with a theme or a particular niche they're trying to dig into. And it's really up to anyone that has interest to put together a topic, you know, what they're wanting to share on and how they believe it's going to impact the world, and then it's up to the curator to evaluate that message, cross-reference it with the theme, and then sometimes there's a couple other stages of, you know, presenting the idea, maybe being interviewed by a panel, and uh, those are steps I kind of went through to do the the talks that I I have online.
0: So do they have like presentation like criteria you have to fit? do you have to have, have like stories involved? Like I'm wondering like, what is like the criteria that they've yeah. been
1: using? It's, it's all online. If, if you're, you know, listeners want to take a look at that, but yeah, there is certain, you know, parameters around having, you know, an idea that is original or authentic to kind of the audience. It doesn't need to be a new idea completely, but they want it to be, you know, creative and in fashion also needs to fit within, I think it's a six to 18 minute, time frame that's kind of your zone to, to speak and then they really do want it to align with the theme that the event is focused on so if that's disruption or the future of social media or remote work whatever that might be they want speakers to align with that topic
0: that's super interesting um i just want to get into more on the storytelling because storytelling is just like a key to great marketing is if I was going to ask you how you use storytelling to like strengthen a brand and how you tell these brands like why storytelling is important, like what is your pitch to them mm. for a story?
1: I think the key suggestion I like to pose to people is, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, we connect and um, associate ourselves with people and things that are you know built up in stories. And in the noise of today's world, stories is, is what kind of pulls off the veil of, of who we are as people and who we are as companies. And I truly believe that the community and the tribe that gathers around your story is one of the last motes that can kind of protect you for the brand that you are. In the digital era, anyone can really copy any good idea, but no one can copy your community that's following your story for the reason that you exist. And I think for people not to take advantage of the authentic and creative stories that make up who they are is an incredible loss uh, and disadvantage in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. I mean,
0: I love how you said that. Like, and I, I've, I pitched it, but never in that way. I've always said like, creativity and your uniqueness. This is what I tell people for LinkedIn is like, what separates you is not what's going to be what you post is like, it's what's going to separate you is your stories you bring into his post. Cause only you have those stories. Nobody else is going to have your stories. Like, yeah. so the way you bring in your experience to the topic you're talking about, so like, for example, marketing, like you have experiences in your past that make good marketing. You have stuff you consume that make your story different. You've, for example, you like, the hootsuite story. Nobody has that, and then making all these huge events for um, in Canada. Nobody has that, and that makes up like who you are. And nobody could say like, "Oh, I did the same thing as Joel for that." Which is, I think, that's a super key point you made about that mode. I love that point. What do you think is like some storytelling mistakes that people make?
1: I think sometimes there can be maybe areas where a story becomes wordsmithed in a way to align with a particular agenda or desire of an audience. And I think that can be difficult. That's a moral compass question of, you know, how true are your stories? Did those things really happen? Or are you really just trying to move the dial in sales? And that's like an honest moral question that people are faced with of, you know, when this person tells a story at a party or at a dinner, Do you have to read in between the lines or is who they are and what they're saying through and through, uh, you can take that to the bank. And I think like, that'll be an interesting medium that continues to sway in storytelling of, of kind of the truth and moral of where they speak from. And then maybe also the stories that they do and don't share, I think kind of speak a lot to the personality or character of that storyteller. And so I, yeah, I kind of like riff on what are the stories that I want to share? What are, what are the ones that I want to open up people to? And maybe in telling those, where do I want to be mature so that I'm not misleading the people that are reading that story? And so I think, uh, to, to finish the ramble, that moral compass and integrity of the script and maybe where that story will lead to is is kind of up to the creator.
0: What I'm really interested in, also, and I'm taking a side of this. This wasn't going to go in this direction, but how do you does one weave their story into their personal brand? Like, how does like someone like decide like I want to be known for X, and this is how I'm going to tell my story on social media and make sure it's authentic and empathetic at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a loaded question. Yeah, I think, you know, Daniel, at the end of the day, I like to take the world of, you know, personal brand or online marketing and really demythify it and see it as one-on-one conversations, you know, friends, life, coffee, dinner. And, you know, I think Jeff Bezos said this, where people already have an understanding of who you are and they share about who you are when you're not in the room. And I really think that's what your personal brand is when you're not messaging someone, people are sharing about you, you know, talking about things and and they're kind of referencing and categorizing you and what you stand for. And I think if you're wanting to build your life on a thesis or a, a premise of really what you're passionate about and what you want to build toward, I think having those guardrails and filters in place that brings you toward those goals becomes really the thesis of what you stand for. And I don't know if that's too wordy for your listeners, but I think sometimes people overcomplicate an exact social media calendar to execute on this big phrase of who they are, when really it just comes down to what are people saying about you when you're not in the room? And what can you do in your nine to five, or you know, out of your nine to five, to build toward you know something that you're excited to share and, and be a part of. I love how you said that because
0: there's a guy on Twitter I follow called Jack Butcher, and he says that content creation, uh, one tip for content creation, is document your evolution. So basically, what you're saying, and I think like kind of of a subject you've talked about before being like underqualified is it could be a, an advantage. I feel like the younger people who start off like posting on LinkedIn or people who are kind of inexperienced, they have like less pressure on their side and what happens is for me like I know like in 3 months like what I said could totally be wrong, but I'm okay with that. I feel like when you've reached a level of expertise you kind of have more of that pressure that you should be right most of the time but i i think that's why being underqualified and also like i wouldn't say underqualified necessarily but being not at this authoritative level like you have a chance to make mistakes and say things that could be not true like in three months time but it's your evolution, and it shows like what you've learning on on your journey.
1: Yeah, no, I, I have a couple thoughts that that stem from that, and and to leave you and your listeners with a thought that I love to to think on. I think, yeah, there's a lot of value in in prioritizing the process over the performance of an idea, and I think the most successful and creative people I know, they don't really give a lot of attention to how something will perform that day because they're building something and a process that's much bigger than that one part of their story. And I think we get so caught up in the essence of that one thing or the performance of one post, the likes, the comments, when they're just here for the learning and the journey and the process. And I think that that ebb and flow of delivery and creativity and, having something bigger than that just one post is what so many people forget.
0: Totally agree that like stop chasing vanity metrics. Yeah, totally. What I was just going to say is like, especially on social media, it's, I see a lot of these people are chasing vanity metrics and chasing followers. And that's like the stuff that they're bragging on a lot. When actually, when I seen in building an audience is just like, the people who show up every day, no matter if the content goes here, like a thousand likes or it gets fifty likes, you're. It, it shows like you're just there every day, right. and that's all what they want to see. And another thought I had there before you hop in is that I think that people underestimate what people remember like the next day, which is pretty funny. It's like. You could post something three days ago and repost it. And I've done this test before and nobody remembered that you posted that. So it's like you're under, it's an ego thing. Like people have egos thinking that people remember their stuff that much, but it's really like you should just post and go into the next one. That's how I think about it.
1: Yeah. and, And I think like some of my favorite learning is just the process of putting things together of you know building a good story you know delivering it hearing the feedback and just that relationship and rapport with the audience the people in your community and I think to limit it just to that couple hours of of attention that it'll get is kind of not fully utilizing the opportunity and so yeah it'll be interesting to kind of see how that world continues to evolve but yeah yeah
0: Going into a thing that you were talking about earlier about hooking like a reader or a listener with a story, like what are good ways of coming up with a good hook to keep them engaged with your story that you're telling?
1: Yeah, I think it really does depend on the audience. When I speak to younger individuals, you know, at a university event or a keynote or a fireside chat, I'll I'll really try to in the first couple minutes demythify who i am like I, I i'm just a typical guy and i have done some cool things some not cool things and and here's hopefully some stories that put me down to everyday level and i think like but using those stories to hook people into just who you are can be a great way to do that i think also sharing a bit of maybe a characteristic or a value that's important to you and and relating that to an audience is a good way to kind of draw them in. And then I think also just rewriting and refining, if it's a written post, you know what that first sentence or two is and how that's going to connect with the through line of the story. And I'm sure you know lots about that, you know, with copy and and developing, you know, a script that kind of draws in a theme. But I, I think that's something I'm continuing to learn about of just how wording and and keeping things simple can be the best way to include people in in what your post is about
0: that's well said and i think marketing and just like storytelling in general the the end user just wants to to be understood right like they just want you to be on their level and the it's easy to write fancy stuff like that like what people a lot of companies do but when you bring it down to like simple concise form where you're just trying to get your the message out and not a fancy way it it's it's relatable but also like for me that's my key to like my posts and how I've told my story on LinkedIn and stuff like that is i try to take every marketing idea and just put it in the simplest forms just mm-hmm. so that everybody understands like simplicity of things which i think it's one of the hardest things to do too. Is like take something in the simplest form, but I think one way that you could do it, and I think you do it very well, is like write how. And the one statement I love in this conversation that I think that resonates with me a lot is like that one-on-one conversation. Like write how you talking to your friend at a coffee shop. Like write how you're talking to, texting your friend on your phone. Like write mm-hmm. how you would explain it to your mom at like dinner. That's how you should be writing your copy
1: because that's how people understand and that's relatable. Totally. And I want to flip a question back on you because I know you're really great at this. Where would you say you've learned, you know, how to write the way that you do? Is that just been A-B testing? Or has that been a book, a course, a mentor that's helped pull that out of you? And what would you say to your listeners about that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one, you just have to start. I think like that's an underrated thing and do it every single day. It's like lifting in the gym. You, if you don't flex that muscle and like work out every day, like you're going to, it's eventually going to weaken. So the first advice I'll give to anybody is just start and then go find the best at who does things like and the best who have done things are usually the old school copywriters and there's some good ones new ones but like the old school copywriters back in the day like Gary Halbert and Ogilvy and Gary Benavenga and all these copywriters who literally had to write by letter and by like mail order to get someone to convert like that was the hardest way. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have anything. And they had to write copy to move someone. And I think there's a quote and I'm going to bumble this code because I don't know by heart, but just think about your, they used to say one of the, and I forgot even know who said, but they said, think about your reader is it's a cold, snowy day outside and they want to buy your product so bad that they get on a coat, they get on shoes, and they walk all the way in the snow to drop off the mail order in the in the at the post office, and they've written a check and then go back home. Like that's how much like much you mm-hmm. need to sell the story, and that's one thing I've been setting. And the last thing I would say is, don't reinvent the wheel. There are people who out there on LinkedIn who do it well, like you do it well. Like there's a bunch of people who do it well. Copy like their format. Don't copy what they're doing, but copy their format and just study it. Because if it's, it's working for a reason, like mm-hmm. and a lot of people think that they need to come up with something new, but the best thing is not reinvent the wheel. It's just innovate in the existing wheel. I
1: like,
0: that. and that's a with a lot of things in life. It's like an idea does not have to be new. Just like what you said about curation, idea does not have to be new. You just have to bring a different perspective to an idea that already exists. And how you do that is why my, I have so much to pose is because I consume a lot. So when I consume a lot, I have ideas that I can connect to each other. And bringing in my personal life is the other aspect to it. So my personal life and all the things I consume bring my story together.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to steal the questions from you, but quickly, what are the top you know, favorite consumption spots? You know, Is Twitter one of them? Is it a newsletter? Is it, you know, even a group chat you have with a couple marketing friends? Where do you love yeah. hunt that down?
0: So I think Twitter is an underrated place. Actually, the Twitter marketing community is great and they post quick yeah. ideas. I love books, but I do a little hack where I like before I read a book, I'll go and type like this book summary to get the main punchlines of the book out of it. And then if I get, if I like the main punchline, I'll dig into it more of the book. So type in like Ogilvy, like the book, like um, Ogilvy on advertising. I'd be like Ogilvy and advertising takeaways. And I'll Mm -hmm. read all like the takeaways that people have got of Ogilvy and advertising. And then if I like that, I'll go and Mm -hmm. dig deeper into that book. So that's one hack I do that, I get, which helps me consume faster. Yeah. Um, like- and last thing is podcasts. I think, like, but what I do is I'll search for people that I know are big names and I'll search for the podcast that they've been on. So, mm-hmm. like, if like Matthew Kobach, which was previously on my our podcast, Is on a. I'll search him on like like podcasts and see what episodes he's on, and I'll go listen to an episode of that or I'll go listen
1: to New York Stock Exchange marketing guy.
0: What do you mean, Stock Exchange?
1: What doesn't he run social for? Was the Stock Exchange? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's the guy I thought you were talking about. Like, am I a Stock Exchange marketing guy? (laughs) uh, Is that like a term I've never heard about in marketing before? But yeah, he's that guy, and now he works at Fast, but like things like that is like are quick hacks to like consume faster. I love books and stuff like that, but I try to get punchlines out of books and like quick ideas. So I'm like kind of a speed reader and that, but that's my like three biggest places. Like, but I think it all comes down to knowing who to consume from Mm -hmm. and what to consume from. the curation. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's who to consume from. Like for me, it's like, I know, the top people in the marketing field and it's an ever growing list, but like, Mm. I know I'll listen to what they say because I know they're good at what they do. Mm. And that's how my like knowledge grows in marketing is like, I'll take something from all these people. Yeah. And that's how I grow my knowledge set. So cool. It's it's kind of hacks that I've never really talked about that I do, but those are like the things I do to like get information
1: really quickly, really fast. And I don't see if I expose them in this episode. Is that a good good note? No, I love,
0: I love it. I love that they expose. I don't mind people knowing what I do. I think I think there's one thing is saying an idea and then there's execution. And a lot of people I challenge most of the people like, out here to do it. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Because like even people say is like you could tell I had a startup advisor when I started a company in college and he said to me that tell your idea to everybody because 99 1% of them will probably start the idea and 99% would listen so you you the rest is just a, a feedback loop you're getting so stop being afraid of like sharing ideas because most people aren't going to execute on it so I yeah. mean you you have the execution so you know you can execute better than them so that's just a long winded answer, but that's my way of thinking. How about you? What is your consumption?
1: Recently, I, I would say 2020 has been a big year for recurating and really cleaning out valuable email newsletters. And I, I don't know if that gets much attention in, in your world, but if you follow the good ones, and I actually am, am paying for a couple, I don't know if you've heard of the Substack world where. Paid newsletters is kind of a new medium where people are sharing, brainstorming, or or dialogues, or learning that they're having, uh, and it's just a bit of a, a paywall. And I've seen actually some incredible connections and ideas come from that, and it's it's kind of more protected and easier to focus than on uh, a social media platform. I think a second one would be deeper podcast conversations where I really know. One of the guests or two of the guests. And I know that's, you know, curated a, a good conversation and good questions. And then I think a third one would be probably LinkedIn of just, you know, certain creators or certain hashtags. I like to follow in and uh, see what the conversation's about.
0: Yeah. I mean, those are all solid places. I mean, I like the paid newsletter one too, because I think that, and I wrote a post about this today because I, I saw mean, Dave Perreault. Like Dave Not about newsletters, but Dave Perel has a tweet, and it's about having skin in the game when you're learning. Mm -hmm. And when you buy a newsletter, you inherently, like, want to consume and learn from it because you have skin in the game, which is money, buying that newsletter. So that's why, like... I'm so mind blown that like colleges, like people in colleges are paying this much and not taking advantage of learning because they have so much skin in the game, but they, they're not learning much. It's crazy to me.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, if I was to take a higher point of view on that, I think people misunderstand university to be the one school of thought they can learn from. And I think, The last couple of years with the gig economy, you know, creators, uh, social media, people are realizing there's multiple layers of different schools of thought that we can spend our time on. Some of those you do pay for and some of them you don't. And I think podcasts, book, forums, you know, subreddits, Twitter threads, like there's so many you can choose from. It just really comes down to what you want to curate and pay attention to and what you want to execute on. So, yeah, I think it, it is super interesting.
0: And it's kind of funny. I, I had this like talk with someone, one of my friends yesterday, and I was, I was making a claim that I don't believe people's like attention spans have dropped that much. I think that people's ability to filter out BS content has been, is risen.
1: Like they're qualifiers of what good idea. Yeah, do.
0: yeah. And like
1: I can pay attention, but you need to do a better job at selling me on why I should really give a couple of reasons why I should pay attention.
0: Yeah, because yeah. there's so much content out there right now. So like yeah. people are just sort of skipping because it's not something that's hooking them anymore. And you're not you the level of creativity has to is is higher now to be mm-hmm. get into these fields, and the level of how good your content needs to be is higher. Like yeah. people keep saying, like, "Oh, the audience's attention has gone down." I just think the level you have created a higher level now for the audience. That's, um, that's my.
1: And how do you build that? If someone came to you after this and said, "Daniel, how do I build that? Is that a a long term game, or is there like a short couple hacks you could do? Is that understanding your audience?" better than anyone else in the world deliver the best creative content you can to support that problem i think creativity empathy
0: and knowing your audience is what's going to separate people from in 2020 and above because i think being creative is the only separating factor people have and brand which you were saying earlier like their personal stories Mm -hmm that now that they have that to separate with other people. If you look at people's attention span right now, people are watching binging Netflix for 10 hours straight. Mm-hmm. They are reading big books. They're sitting in a movie theater and watching their attention span is knocked down. The, the, the content is just good enough for them to pay attention to. And I think like social media is the hard, one of the hardest places because there's so much content on there. So that's why good content rises to the top on social media because Mm. people's ability to filter out BS has got so good. Like 10 years ago, like people didn't follow. (laughs) Exactly. They, they, there wasn't a lot as much content and as content grows, like your ability to create good content needs to arise to the occasion every single time. Like, because they're getting bombarded with all these things. So you have to, and it takes empathy, right? like, I think would, one thing you've been saying is know your audience, but it's like, it takes people to say like, what would I consume this if I was scrolling the feed mm-hmm. right now? And yeah. also would mm-hmm. I, is this good enough for me, for someone to take five seconds of their precious time on my stuff? That's mm-hmm. how much empathy you gotta do. And if it's like, I think like it is a lot of testing, but I think you'll see like creativity and brand is what's going to accelerate good companies to go to the top. Good content creators, because mm-hmm. good content rises to the top. Um, it's not people's attention spans that are
1: screwed. I like that, Mike. Drop um, there.
0: Yeah, I mean that. That's my like a theory. I've been thinking about a lot, just because cause I just think that like I could sit and consume a whole Netflix series yeah. and not look at my phone once and not be, mm-hmm. if my attention span was really seven, eight seconds, would I be able to consume that whole content? No. Like it's cause it's good content. Like that's, mm-hmm. I am sorry to people who think they're, that's why I'm saying like to people out there, like who are not growing on LinkedIn, my number advice is like, start working, get your copyright and great, be creative do something new, curate, like you said, like curate the best ideas in one space because people's time is precious. So you have to step up to their standards.
1: Yeah. No, that's really nice. I like that.
0: I just was just wanted to bring that up because I just, was I've been thinking about that a lot. And it's like, it's on the subject of good storytelling, like good storytelling (laughs) is what keeps people Engaged and these shows are doing it like good people on LinkedIn are doing it. The people that I know are killing on LinkedIn. As is... I just had a guy on my podcast the other day, Harry Dry, he runs a psych on marketing examples. Mm-hmm. And he was like talking about a content creator, and he's like, their content is average they just have such a good personality and story that people just want to listen yeah. which is true like that's why brand is part of it like you have, he's built out a brand for people to
1: listen now like mm-hmm. so that's interesting yeah they you know when they've earned that credibility they can kind of say what they want but when you're starting out you really need to build out why people should care and stop out of their day
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's it's totally like an empathy thing. Like, and it took me a long time to realize that. It took me a long time to, and I think it all comes down to like active listening and listening to your audience and
1: mm-hmm. like
0: also listening to what's going on in the, your space and what questions people are asking and what is new and what, a, and I think a lot of things is what is old is still relevant. People have recency bias of what's in the internet right now they have recency bias on like all of the social media and stuff like that, that it's marketing, but really like the old style of marketing of knowing your audience, copywriting, creativity is still at the root of all marketing. Mm-hmm. And if you go le- learn that stuff, you'll know marketing. Like if you learn the basics, because there's books that have been still relevant today. They've been written in the 1930s about marketing. There's a reason it is because It's still relevant today, and because marketing has not changed much, because what hasn't changed much? People, people's way they behave has not changed much in the last thousands of years. Like they have not the way that they make decisions. We still are tied to a couple things that make make why we make decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like a rant from my side of things, but
1: uh, (laughs) no, I, I liked it.
0: But yeah. I want to just close it up and give you. I want you to give some actionable items for someone like starting a story or some,
1: or yeah. starting their,
0: like, what are some mic drops that you want to give them to go right now to take action to become a better storyteller, become a better building their personal brand? Some lessons you've learned.
1: Yeah. A couple I, I recently, love sharing on is uh you know figure out your why for for wanting to get going and and keep that as a driving force i mean most people get a linkedin profile because their boss or professor has told them to and they've probably never opened it up since and i think you need to figure out a why statement of you know i could lose my job i could move cities i could want to change my my life career direction and you need to have a foundation in place that enables you to dream and be creative, that might be it. And I think you need to figure out a why for why, you know, you want to get going. And the second why is figuring out what every project and idea should point back to what's your thesis for your professional, you know, language or dialogue or community that you want to be a part of. And what are you trying to to help people with the last point? That I think most people probably haven't heard is I really like to see content and storytelling and, and personal branding as a real estate play. Your listeners might be in cities where you know they, they have coffee with a friend or they chat and they say, oh, you know how good would it have been if we had a property 10, 20 years ago? You know what what's the price or what's the value of that property right now? And, and people always bring that, that conversation into context. And I think the world we're now in, in 2020, uh, and you know we've been in this world for, for quite a while now, is the digital SEO real estate world of marketplace of ideas. And if you're not building equity and market share into who you are, what your name is, or what you care about as a person, the marketplace is only going to continue to get more busy and your brand or your name will only continue to get more lost uh, the longer you wait. And so I like to challenge people to say, start a habit, start getting in motion, because in 10, 20 years, the content game is going to be, I think, massively different. And to not have a stake in the game puts you at a huge disadvantage.
0: I love that real estate analogy. Like, And I haven't really thought of it like this, but I, the reason I got into LinkedIn... And it's because a a content creator did, but like Gary V was like shouting in my ear every single time I would listen to him. Like LinkedIn is like the Facebook of 2012. LinkedIn is the face, and I'm like, okay, Gary, I'm finally gonna listen to you. Like I'm gonna get on LinkedIn and start posting. I was always on LinkedIn as a consumer, but now that I I see what you're the way you're saying it, I, I totally believe it. It's like I'm even seeing like digital landscapes like get diluted day by day. And I always also say to people like your, your personal band is the new resume. It's like, if you can never have a resume again and your personal brand could get you to job to job, like that is like the, or like get sales to sales. That is the most like appealing thing to me. Like if you can
1: master that. Totally. And, and I always challenge people to say the last, you know, if they have a side hustle or if it's been an important meeting, if it's been, you know, anything of important significance, has a resume ever played a part in that other than a corporate role, or has it always been, you know, a content piece or a story they heard online. And usually 90% of the time it's that second bucket and that bucket's only continuing to grow and to not invest in that bucket is to really let go of the future of that asset class. So yeah, it's really interesting.
0: So if anybody's listening right now, start today, get into the real estate, the digital real estate game. Um, the old real estate game's a little diluted right now, but there's still some investment opportunities there. But it's been great talking to you, and I think I want to leave this opportunity for you to say where people could find you, anything you want them to direct them to, like this is the stage is yours for that.
1: You can find me on LinkedIn if, if you search up Joel Hansen. I'm working on a website, uh, which will be live soon, just under joelhansen.com. And then I, I get quite a few questions regarding this sort of stuff. And so I've recently just kind of been working on a YouTube channel where I, I answer these sort of questions or bring in people to speak and share their stories so those are kind of the three areas but other than that feel free to find me on social media
0: cool thank you so much for joining and i'm super stoked to get this episode
1: live it was awesome to be a part of this and uh look forward to hearing the response from your community
0: cool thank you so much